The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. The media's continual use of the term misinformation makes it sound like what we're all living through today is a natural disaster, which keeps us glued to our TV sets even while it makes us feel helpless. If we use the term disinformation, then that means it's a lie, which means there must be liars, which means that there's something that we can actually do to fight back. Welcome back to a new episode of The Next Big Idea Daily. I'm not sure if you've noticed, and for your sake, I hope you haven't, but we're gearing up for another presidential election year. That's always been a particularly fraught time in American culture. But in the last few years, the fraughtness has been turned up a notch due to the rise of disinformation. Thanks to social media trolls, mischievous bots, shouty podcasters, and now the emergence of less than reliable artificial intelligence, telling reality from fiction is getting tougher and tougher. Why have we gotten ourselves into this situation and what can we do about it? Joining us with some ideas is Lee McIntyre, author of a new book called On Disinformation, How to Fight for Truth and Protect Democracy. Misinformation and disinformation are not the same. One of the biggest problems with the news media, politicians, and most of the rest of us these days is that we keep referring to the facts and belief problem we have in this country right now as one of misinformation rather than disinformation. But the difference is crucial. Misinformation is a mistake. It's when someone says something they genuinely believe to be true but it turns out to be false. But disinformation isn't like that. Disinformation is a lie. It's the intentional creation and sharing of a falsehood that the person saying it knows to be untrue, but they do so anyway because it serves some particular goal or purpose that benefits them. This goal can be economic or political or ideological. It doesn't really matter. But the point is this. Disinformation is created not for the benefit of the person who believes it, but the person who creates it. Disinformation is the primary cause of denialism. Whether you're talking about climate denial, vaccine denial, or Trump's big lie about the 2020 presidential election, they all follow the same flawed playbook, and the primary factor behind all of them is disinformation. If somebody is going to go to all the trouble to create a strategic campaign of denial, it's because they want something. Look, for example, at what happened in the 1950s when the tobacco companies were scared to death about a forthcoming study that demonstrated a link between cigarette smoking and lung cancer. Big Tobacco fought this by hiring a public relations consultant who advised them to fight the science. They took out full-page ads in American newspapers. They created a shill scientific organization called the American Tobacco Institute. And they leaned on journalists and editors to do more to tell the other side of the story about tobacco, even though there really wasn't one. And it worked. Within two years, there was significant public doubt about the scientific consensus over smoking and cancer. 
And this paved the way for the next 60 years of science denial on topics like acid rain, the ozone hole, and global warming. But here's the shocking thing. This same strategy was later used by the Russian intelligence service during the COVID-19 pandemic to suggest that the Western vaccines might contain tracking microchips. They published that false story in one of their English-language propaganda arms in April 2020. And it worked. By May 2020, CBS News reported that 28% of the American public believed this bogus lie. Why did the Russians do it? The same old motives, money and power. They hoped to undermine the Western vaccines before they were even invented, so their Sputnik vaccine could dominate the world market. Whether foreign or domestic, all disinformation works this same way. It's invented to push people to believe something that they otherwise probably wouldn't, and to cloak the fact that it even is disinformation in the first place. But now we're ready for one of the book's biggest ideas of all. Because disinformation isn't used just to deny the truth about science, but also reality in general. The success of science denial paved the way for today's reality denial. The kind of denialist campaigns I've been talking about were so successful that they caught the eye of politicians, who sought not simply to deny a few inconvenient facts about science, but even larger truths about reality in general. Did you ever wonder why Donald Trump lied about whether his inauguration crowd was bigger than Obama's? It's because he was preparing everyone for the post-truth environment that was about to come. Trump wasn't lying merely to convince us, but to assert his power. In an earlier book, I defined post-truth as the political subordination of reality. It's when you want something so big that you need to bend reality to your will. And here your best friend is going to be disinformation. We've already seen how disinformation is a lie that's created to get people to believe a falsehood. But for an autocrat, that's not enough. You don't just want people to doubt some particular truth, but to become so polarized around factual issues that they see anyone on the other side as their enemy, maybe even hate them and think that they deserve to be punished. At that point, it isn't about just one lie. It's about creating an army of deniers who are prepared to believe whatever you tell them. And that is the road to authoritarianism. We see this going on right now in electoral dictatorships like Russia and China, but also in democracies like Hungary and Turkey. But the primary example I explore in my book is Trump's big lie about the 2020 presidential election in the United States and how he used it to foment the insurrection on January 6, 2021. We can fight back against the threat from disinformation but we have to have a plan. The most important step in fighting disinformation is to recognize the pipeline that goes from the creators to the amplifiers to the believers. And the pinch point here is amplification. Politicians and others have always lied to achieve their goals. But today it's different because the internet is a disinformer's dream. In 2019, the Center for Countering Digital Hate found that 65% of the anti-vax propaganda on Twitter was due to 12 people. And the last time I checked, eight of them still had a platform there. Could social media companies do more to fight disinformation? 
Yes, but what is their incentive? Could government officials do more to pass appropriate regulations to change these incentives? Yes, but first they would have to acknowledge the problem. Right now, there's a concerted effort by many Republicans in Congress to advance the bogus idea that fighting disinformation is tantamount to censorship. But since when does your refusal to amplify someone else's lie infringe on their freedom of speech? Here the media bears some responsibility. Remember the problem of confusing misinformation with disinformation? Here's where that really matters. The media's continual use of the term misinformation makes it sound like what we're all living through today is a natural disaster, which keeps us glued to our TV sets even while it makes us feel helpless. But it also fulfills another primary goal of the media, which is to avoid accusations of political bias. By refusing to name names, they're saying that this really isn't anybody's fault. Except it is. If we use the term disinformation, then that means it's a lie which means there must be liars, which means that it's really more like a war than a hurricane, which means that there's something that we can actually do to fight back. Disinformation can be fought, but first we must be awake to its threat and willing to do something about it. If you do not like how your cable news channel is covering the problem of disinformation, complain, not just to them, but to their advertisers. If you think that your member of Congress isn't doing enough to push back against the big tech companies, threaten to vote them out of office. If you're angry at social media companies like Facebook and Twitter because they aren't doing enough to fight this problem, organize and boycott their platforms, but also their advertisers. But there's one more thing you can do. Spread the word at the grassroots level to your family and friends about the seriousness of this issue. But the most important one is this. To win an information war, first, we must be willing to admit that we are in one. Thank you, Lee. Well, everyone, as you fight your own battles against disinformation, I hope you'll keep the Next Big Idea daily in your listening queue. We aspire to bring you high-quality, well-researched information brought to you from some of the leading writers and thinkers out there, curated for you by real people, not algorithms. If you like what we're doing, come check out nextbigideaclub.com and sign up for a membership. Use code DAILY to get a special discount. Tomorrow, we'll wrap up the week with some big ideas from Tom Vanderbilt, author of Beginners, The Transformative Joy of Lifelong Learning. I think you're going to like this one. See you then. 